0: Well, I love all the holiday traditions that we have in this church that have been to set for years. Loved our Thanksgiving feast a week ago. That was awesome. So thrilled about what's going to happen next Sunday on the lawn and here for our Christmas celebration and especially that candlelight service the Sunday before Christmas. But there's none of our traditions here that I think are more important than what happens through the Meredith Foundation in the way we're able to bless people who wouldn't have a Christmas. If you are caught unaware on this, there's a, a form in your lifeline that would help you still be able to give. I, I like the story of uh, this man. He was really into books. He was a book collector. He especially loved old Bibles. And he had a friend come to him one day and say, man, I, I wish I'd called you. I was up in my attic, and uh, I found this old Bible. He said, but I threw it away. He said, well, what was it like? He said, it was it was published by, by, by some guy named Guten. He goes, Gutenberg, you're kidding me. He said, that would be worth $2 million. And the man says, Oh, no, it wouldn't be worth anything. There was all this scribbling in German by this guy named Martin Luther. he thrown it away. And, guys, often what happens is we throw away the most precious parts of things. And as we come to the Christmas season, it's so easy that we get so involved in the season that we forget what we just Sung, joy to the world, the Lord is come, let earth receive her king. And so, this morning, we begin this new message series, The Kings of Christmas. And the day we look at the king who fought Christmas, because even today, Christmas still is polarizing. Some people actively fight Christmas, even among Christians, they say Christmas has pagan roots, And, and that's actually true. Uh, In the 4th century, you know, the bishops wanted to take a pagan holiday and convert it to a Christmas holiday. And that's actually from that holiday where we got candles and wreaths and trees and gift-giving. Would that mean we can't celebrate it today? Well, most of us were even unaware of that. The reality is that's long been forgotten, and something that was bad has been converted to something that's good. And honestly, if we're going to be consistent with this— any of you ladies in here wearing earrings today? Okay, thank, thank you. I know I can't see them glittering right now, but do you realize where ear earrings started? They were a symbol of worshiping an idol. Okay, so if we're going to be consistent, let's take the earrings off too, all right? So it, it does have pagan roots, and we really don't know the day, December 25th probably wasn't it, but guess what? God could have looked down and chose any date, and there's no date that would have been completely clean, right? There's something bad that happened all of it. And then some of us have not celebrated Christmas because we we look in the Scripture and we say, there's no command. And and because of that, we we go, you know, it's the best thing to not celebrate it. But what's odd about that is we don't say that about Thanksgiving or Mother's Day or Father's Day. Jesus didn't say that in John chapter 10, where he participated in the Feast of Dedication, which was not a biblical feast. It came up after biblical days. And so, to me, it's hard for us to imagine that God would be pleased with us, not taking advantage of an opportunity to remember something that the Bible talks so much about, the incarnation of Jesus. Just don't think God would be there. And so today, we have that opportunity, you know, to... To let this moment shape us. You say, well, you know, buddy, I don't agree with this. We ought to celebrate Christmas every day. Boy, doesn't that sound good. Can I make a suggestion? Let's celebrate your birthday every day. (laughs) What's going to happen? You're going to end up with no birthday celebration. It's because we make this special that we're able to focus on it. But then there's some other things that, that fight Christmas. And these aren't so out front and active. They're passive. Um, just we turn it into a secular holiday. Which isn't that a weird term? Secular holiday. It's an oxymoron. Yeah, what, what is the word? I, I remember growing up where, you know, we couldn't celebrate Christmas. We could have Christmas trees and Santa and Rudolph and all that. And, and, and we couldn't have a Christmas party. But we could have a holiday party. You know what the word holiday means? Help me out. Holy Day. And so, what culture's done for us is they've overwhelmed us with culture, making this into the biggest spending time of the year and the most materialistic time. And so, a week ago, we had Black Friday. But did you notice this year, did Black Friday start on Black Friday? It started about a month earlier. And then we went to Small Business Saturday. And then we had Cyber what? Monday. And then finally, after all of that, we have Giving Tuesday. Reminds me of our series for the last few weeks. Giving last. And so we've allowed culture to to help us lose the real meaning because we're getting baited. And then we all know uh, one thing that fights Christmas, we're just too busy. And this is the busiest time of the year between gift-giving and cooking and traveling and trying to see everybody, we just can easily miss it without purposely missing it. You've heard me say this, and I've heard you repeat it, so I must have meant something. If Satan can't make you bad, he'll make you what? Busy. Say it with me. If Satan can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. And guys, this time of year, what we've got to fight is he's going to make us so busy that we miss it. Now let's study, let's focus today on on the king who fought Christmas the most. And that's King Herod. And as we go to Matthew chapter 2, we're going to focus on him today and and learn what we can of why he fought Christmas. Let's go to Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where's the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now that's our introduction to Herod. Now, there was a lot of good things about Herod. Herod had been a leader for 40 years. He was an amazing architect and had built some architectural marvels. He was a great builder. He'd gone and built whole cities, you know, from nothing. And above all to the Jewish people, he'd rebuilt The temple. And so under Herod, for the first time under Roman rule, there was actually peace in the land. He kept the peace. And so the emperor from Rome gave him a title most people didn't have. He named him King Herod. And King Herod himself was vain enough to give himself the title, I am the king of the Jews. And then we get to verse 3, and we begin to see some of the problems. When King Herod heard about this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. Yes, the country was secure, but King Herod was extremely insecure. His mode of operation for 40 years had been, you crush the opposition. In fact, this guy was, at a minimum, extremely paranoid. If there was anybody close to him that he thought might threaten his rulership, he just killed him, including, listen, his mother-in-law, his wife, his three sons. In fact, Caesar Augustus said, I would rather be Herod's dog than one of his sons. You say, well, that's crazy. That would never happen today. Oh, yes, it would. We see it. Look at this crazy kingdom of North Korea led by Kim Jong-un. Have you noticed, you know, the last few years? He first of all murdered an uncle that was in the military he thought was a threat. And then he had murdered in an airport in Hong Kong through poisoning a brother who wasn't even living in the kingdom. And we know on top of that, he's killed thousands of people. Anyone he feels insecure about is killed. And that's exactly the kind of paranoid leader That King Herod was so let's look and see what happens verse 4 he wants to get more information about this the motives aren't pure but he wants the information when he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law he asked them where was the Messiah to be born in Bethlehem in Judea they replied for that is what the prophet had written so he goes to religious people he goes to scholars he said I'm hearing this rumor You probably are the one that nowhere will happen. And they go, oh, yes, we've read the book of Micah 700 years before this. It's been prophesied in this insignificant city, Bethlehem, he'll be born. In fact, here's the prophecy. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So he gets the information. Now, in just a moment, we're going to go to Verse 7 where Herod calls the Magi in. But here's what strikes me. The more I read this, there seems to me there's missing verses. I mean, just just back off from the story long enough to think about this. He goes to religious leaders. He asks them about this. I mean, listen, the Jewish people have been waiting for centuries for the Messiah. Herod's got this whiff that this may happen. He goes to them. They know the Scriptures. They know where he'll be born. They tell Herod, what do they not do? They don't go. You think of all people, they would have said, oh, my goodness, this could be it. At a minimum, let's get to Bethlehem before Herod, and let's check this thing out. But even the spiritual people today miss Christmas. And then Herod goes about his business. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. What a liar. Let's keep watching. And when they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that had been seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place the child was born. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child and his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country in a different route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. This is how serious this thing is. Get up, take the child and his mother, and escape to Egypt. Stay there until Herod, stay there, I tell you, for Herod is going to search for this child to kill him. Let me say this, guys. This passage is not the sweet little Christmas card. There is a brutal, murderous king who's paranoid. There are going to be babies all over Bethlehem dead our savior's not going to have time to camp out there long. him and his family are running so he got up took his child his mother during the night and left for egypt when he stayed until where he stayed until the death of herod and so was fulfilled what the lord had said through the prophet out of egypt i call my son don't you love god's still doing his thing in the midst of this and then poor herod When Herod realized he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. It's estimated at least 15 to 20 little baby boys were murdered by this paranoid king. So, what's going on here? What's Herod's problem? Herod didn't want another king in town. I mean, just the word king, king of the Jews, that was his title he had given himself. He didn't want a king. And let's be honest today. Herod is dead, but his spirit lives on. It's my human nature and your human nature to want to run our life. That's why we get in trouble. I mean, it, it's of the flesh that I go, you know what? The last thing I want is someone to control me. You, you're not going to control me. And with people, that may be true. But with God, it's a huge mistake. Because we come even to God and go, you know what? I know you're God. I know Jesus came. But you know what? I, I want to keep running my life. And so there's so many areas of our life that we, we basically say, God, I'm not going to listen to you on this one. I know we talked about a very sensitive issue the last three weeks about being generous. And and I know you wouldn't say this out loud here, but there there are some of us that would say in our heart of hearts, ain't nobody telling me how to spend my money. And for you, it may be more precious your time. And if you got your priorities right, your time would be spent differently. And you go, you know what? I'm going to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And there's probably no issue in culture where we reject the The kingship of Jesus more than when it comes to sexuality. Nobody's going to tell me what to do in my bedroom. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. And so, what's so disturbing to me is that people who claim to follow Jesus, we've just surrendered the sexual ethic of Scripture. I I stay shocked at the amount of people. They'll tell me, years ago, they wouldn't have told me this. And I'm glad they tell me because now I know. You know, living with my girlfriend, living with my boyfriend, that's all right. I actually heard a woman preacher say a couple years ago in one of the worst lectures I've ever heard in my life, in our church, we have decided that we don't care who puts what body parts with other body parts. Did King Jesus decide that? See, guys, we're, we're, we sometimes fight in being king. Maybe, maybe those aren't your areas. What, what is your area? We you think, you know what? Jesus, you come further enough. You can't go into this room. You can't, you can't put a flashlight in there with my thoughts, Lord. You see, we all have that Herod spirit that says, we're going to fight it. And so my question for you today is, are you fighting King Jesus? Maybe it's actively you're like, you know what, I just don't want anything to do with Christmas. Maybe it's passively. You know, you're a nice person, you go to church, you're a little bit more generous than other people, but you've not made him the king of your life. I mean, that, guys, that's the issue here. That's why Jesus is so extraordinary, and that's why Jesus is so polarizing. Because he doesn't just come and say, I'm your nice, sweet savior. He comes and says, I am also your king. It's crazy that we fight it. Now, let me say this. The more I study this story, here's the big surprise. The big surprise is not that Herod fight, fought it. My goodness, he was a pagan. And what would you expect out of a pagan who's trying to hold on to power? I mean, I, 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 get, I, I get a little disturbed when we as Christians expect people who don't share our faith to behave like Christians. We're shocked when they do certain things. We think they should do. Because if they don't share our belief in Jesus and our belief in Scripture, why are we shocked when they don't obey it? That's not the folks we got to worry about. What's more shocking, and here's the surprise of the story. It's not Herod. The surprise of the story are the religious people. They knew the Scriptures. They knew where he'd be born. They should have been excited about embracing Jesus. And they miss it. That's the shocker of the story. So, my friends, as we close out, how do we crown Jesus king this Christmas? Now, now let me say this before we get into this practical. If you're fighting Jesus, again, I'm, I doubt there's a few folks, you wouldn't be here, you're, you're holding your fist up to God and saying, I just don't want you. But passively, you're not making a decision, okay? You've really not made a decision about Jesus being king. And to not make a decision is to make a decision. And let me just say this to you, okay? You need to hear this. You're not going to win this fight. You can keep fighting them all you want, but there is a day coming, the scripture promises, where every knee will bow to King Jesus. So the smart thing to do for you and me would be to crown him king right now. And what a better time to do it than Christmas. So let's use this acrostic for King and let's talk about crown. First of all, you just need to know him. I mean, I'm telling you, I think you'll want to surrender if you know him. And, and guys, everything is communicated by his entry to the world. If anybody thought of God coming, would anybody have had the imagination to think God can be born? to a baby. It's going to appear like it's out of wedlock. It's going to be in a barn. It's going to be stinky. I mean, anybody think God's come to the earth that way? But I believe God deliberately did that because He didn't come to command you. He didn't come to demand you. He didn't come to reprimand you. He came to win you by His love to the point that you would obey Him. You ever met somebody and your first impression of them was just correct? I mean, they, they walked in a room with 15 minutes, you know, their character and their heart and everything was just plain. And maybe you've known them 20 years later, and you still think, you know what? That same impression I had from the beginning is still so true. My friends, the impression you get of God from his entry to the earth is so true. Not only was he come in in such a crazy entry, But for the first time in history, people are going to put together two words they would have never put together before. Humble God. And it wasn't just at the beginning, it's the way he lived his life. He came to give, not to be given to. He came to serve, not be served. And in the final point, he ends up on a cross. And that's why I love the image we have for this Christmas. Of that crown on this cross. Because it doesn't belong there, unless you understand Jesus. Unless you understand the picture in the book of Revelation that the lamb that was slain is the one sitting on the throne. And I, I want to thank, we, we have a young man here, Tate Bevins, who actually made that crown. He moved here as one of our newest members, actually works at the Shakespeare Festival, does their prop stuff, and made us look good today. Thank you, Tate. Yes. But what I I really want you to recognize is, if you understand this king in a manger, this king on a cross, if you come to know him this season, you're going to want to make him king. Listen to me. I mean, this is what kills me about these religious guys. It's not like they're happy. It's not like everything's good with the Jewish people. They're in subjugation. They're miserable. But they're more willing to stay in their misery than they are willing to consider another king. And my friends, if your life is not good, if it's not going well, if you come like Herod today, disturbed in your heart, listen to me. You're not going to do a good job running your life. But this king would, and that brings me to point number two, invite him to invade your heart. Guys, Christmas is the story of an invasion by God. It's a sneak attack. He comes in a way that no one would expect it, but he wants to invade your life. And so, guys, I, I want to encourage you while we're, while we're here. Would you consider inviting this Jesus this is not just about a sweet Christmas story and God come into a little place called Bethlehem and angels. This is about a God who said, you know what, this world is such a messed up, screwed up place. All of you are pretty messed up yourselves. Would you allow me to come invade and change things? Now here's the thing about him. He's not going to force you. You got to invite him. He wants you to crown him king in your life. Man. Let's pray about that. Let's pray together. God, we come before you today, Lord, as the Christmas season starting, Lord, and God, we are convicted by this murderous king named Herod. We're convicted by these religious leaders who knew better, who missed Christmas, who missed Jesus. And Father, God, if we really see Jesus for who he is, right from the beginning. Lord, we would much prefer him being in charge of our life than us. We've tried that too long. It's so scary to me, Father, that we can be miserable in our miserableness and yet still be so proud we won't change. So, Lord, today we come before you the church to invite your son Jesus to sit on the throne of our heart and to reign. We pray in his name, amen. Now then, let's get real practice. Notice and choose your attitude. Okay, this is one thing that, that, that really uh, I'm confronted with this week is uh, there's so many of us who dread Christmas. We don't like Christmas, and part of it's because we've given it over to the world. But guys, here, here's the, the, the deal, is that God believes that you have a choice. Okay, if, if you know right now, you know, I hate all the traveling, all the gift giving, I hate the busyness, you know, um, you know I, I just want to get to January 1st. Guys, are we really can just surrender this whole month? Would it ought to be the month for us? So would you choose to change your attitude? Maybe, maybe changing your attitudes can mean, you know, you, you dread it because all you're going to do is stay in the kitchen and cook. Well, why don't you order out pizza one of these times? Or maybe you're going to give to people you don't even like. Why don't we decide just to give to those we love and to people who need it like we did today? Why don't you choose to go, you know what? By the power of the Holy Spirit, God has said... I have the ability to take every thought and make it captive and make it obey Christ. So if you're dreading Christmas, and there's a multitude of reasons for that, could we today choose to love it? I I was dealing with a friend this week, and I love this guy so much, but he was having some difficulty with a girlfriend, and it, it just had wrapped him all around his brain, and he was just in a terrible mood, and... You know, I was trying to bring him out of it, and he just would like, you know, I, I'm, just, I, I'm just numb, I'm numb, I'm numb, I'm numb to everything. And he was. He was just sort of miserable. And So finally, I was just praying, Lord, what do I need to say to this young man? And finally, I said, you know, man, you told me a little while ago you're going out to eat with your parents tonight. Would you go make their day? Instead of sitting there numb, waiting on them to make you happy, would you go make them happy? And when you get home from that supper, can you think of some friend, somebody you know who needs something, and would you text them or call them or do something? Why? Well, because for most of us, guys, for us to be delivered from this dread, we've got to get out of ourselves to do something for somebody else. I know I do. So you choose. When you go to that family and everything's not so happy and everybody's not going around or you're not going wrong. You choose that you're going to be the person to bring life. And then, here's the final point, and this is what we're about to do. Get on your knees and worship. Just get on your knees and worship. If you want to change this, the the best thing you can do is really worship. You see, Herod refused to bend his knees. The religious leaders were so comfortable in their mediocrity that they wouldn't bend their knees. Most Americans are too busy to even notice Many Christians put it on autopilot through this season. And if we'd really be honest, most of us are just too proud. Maybe maybe it's in your marriage and you need some help. And you need to go talk to a friend or talk to a couple or talk to each other finally. Or get on your knees and pray. And say, you know what? I know how I feel and what I'd like to do, but I'm not king of my life. What does God say about my marriage? So you decide that you're gonna bow down and worship him. You know what it's always so great about all the gospel stories is it's the unexpected people. We'll talk about this next next week. It's the magi who actually worship. So nobody in my hearing is beyond worshiping. Now here's what we'll do. I want to challenge you because okay, I know it's about to get crazy first of all there's a lot of great advent material out there that you could walk through with your family that's good but even if you're not going to do that could we make an agreement together right now that for the next three Sundays including this Sunday we are going to come prepared to worship that in this Christmas season for once I invite you to leave all the mess outside there and to come in here and go you know what this, this is a crazy time, but for an hour and 15 minutes, the next three Sundays, I'm, in, I'm just going to recognize him as king, forget myself, forget what's going on, and worship. Can you imagine what would happen? Can, can we agree on that? Excuse me, I asked the question of thought. Could we agree on that? I mean, I'm, I'm asking you, before you walk in these doors next Sunday, when you're walking up those sidewalks, You pray that you're going to worship the king. We're going to do it in just a second. In fact, we're going to do it in a special way. I'm going to invite you in just a moment to get on your knees and pray and praise God. Now, listen to me. You can't read the Bible and think physicality is not part of worship because there is a connection between your head, your heart, and your body. And when all three of those things line up, your posture, your attitude, your heart, Yes, it says something to God, but I think more importantly, it says something to you about your posture before God. So we're about to sing a song, and I really want to encourage everybody here to get on your knees. In fact, we're going to sing a song that can say it perfectly. Come, let us worship and bow down. I've timed this out. That song is going to last 2 minutes and 11 seconds. Even I can get on my knees for 2 minutes and 11 seconds. We did have some people We had a hard time getting that first service. But two minutes and 11 seconds. Now, now let me just be completely honest. If for some reason you're physically unable to do this, could I just invite you to somehow change your posture? Whether it's just putting your hands in your lap or raising your hands or just bowing there in your pew. But over the next two minutes and 11 seconds, could we just bow and worship the true king? And then after that, we have a song called In Christ Alone that calls us to stand. And then we're going to stand. And at that point, you want to come and surrender your life to Jesus. Come. You need the prayers of this church. You come. I want you to the first two minutes, 11 seconds to do nothing but worship. Because listen to me, friends. You're never going to get to Jesus until you humble yourself and make him king. Some of you have been blessed to go to the Holy Lands. Stephanie and I were able to go there a few years ago. We went to Bethlehem. We visited the Church of the Nativity. Let me just tell you, it's a big disappointment. I mean, you, you get in there, and it's, it's, just, it's just this dark, smutty place with all these icons. It's just, and, and, and to get to the grave, I mean, there's just this, um, the, excuse me, the birth cave. There's just a hole. And you got hundreds of people. Man, they need Chick fil A so bad in Bethlehem, okay? They got, they got hundreds of people just smashing against themselves, and you, it's hot and musty, and it's okay. But here's the cool thing about the church in the nativity there's only one door into the church, and it's been made about this tall because nobody can come to the birth of Jesus without bowing. The only way you're going to be right with Jesus is to swallow your pride. Jesus says, unless you come to me like a little child, I'm telling you, these little kids in here aren't going to have a problem in a minute getting on their knees. Unless you come to me as a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. So in these next moments, as the worship team comes up and we begin to sing, I invite you to join me on your knees. Let's declare that we are going to fight for Christmas together. Let's bow together and let's praise.